Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. Good to see you this morning. This past weekend, I visited our son, Daniel, who's 12 years old. Uh, he lives in Missouri at a special school. Um, we adopted him from Jamaica two or three years ago. And many of you are praying for him. And I had a good visit with him, good time hanging out. And it's always hard to, to leave him behind. But just continue to pray for him and pray for us as we uh, parent him from a distance as best as we can. But sometimes things in life just don't work like you plan, right? And they can be hard. But God is still sovereign in control. Still knows what he's doing. He's still working for your good and for his glory. We need to believe that, right? Yeah. We're called Village Bible Church once again, and we preach through books of the Bible. And this morning, we are going to hit a topic that you're going to wonder what my motives are in choosing this topic, but I didn't choose it. It chose me because that's what's next. And that's the good thing about preaching through books of the Bible. Whatever's next is next. And you may think it has nothing to do with you when it has everything to do with you. So this morning, we're going to talk about that wonderful subject of money and giving. And the message is for you. Because I don't know if you know this, but the way you use your money reveals your heart and demonstrates your relationship with God. I'm going to say it again because I don't think you heard me. The way you use your money reveals your heart and demonstrates your relationship with God. We may think that our money is disconnected between our relationship with God, but that is not the case. So I hope everyone is listening this morning with the intent of obeying. We not only want to listen to the Word of God, we want to do what it says. So go ahead and turn to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, going back and forth between Malachi and 2 Timothy. We find ourselves in Malachi chapter 3 and something called the fifth disputation. There's little arguments going on between God and the people. And in this disputation, the people are charged with robbing God. It's a very strong accusation. I don't know if you ever considered that, but there's a way that you can rob God. Before we get into the details of God's charge against his people, let's start on a note of grace. Look at verse 6 of chapter 3. Verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. God does not change in his faithfulness to his people. And because God does not change, they are not consumed. However, the people have not changed either in their faithlessness to God. In fact, you can say their faithlessness does not change, unfortunately. And that's why God calls them out. Because they have a history of rebelling. Look at verse 7 again. He says, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from me, 
from my statutes and have not kept them. This rebellious generation during Malachi's time was nothing new among the Israelites. They have a history of turning away from God and turning away from his commandments. But because God does not change in his faithfulness to his people, he is going to discipline them and yet not consume them. And he's hoping that because he does not change in his faithfulness, they will change in their actions in their heart toward him. So there's hope held out. Look at verse 7. He says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Can you imagine God's, his arms are wide open. He's like, all right, come on back. Come on back. He's probably saying that to some of you. Come on back. Come on. My arms are open. Return to me. I'm going to return to you. Draw near to me. I'm going to draw near to you. I'm ready to to mend this relationship. God's arms are wide open. And the people are like, excuse me, God. Verse 7, the very end. They say, but you say, how shall we return? Hmm. That's a good question. (laughs) Not really. Because God could tell them lots of ways they could return because he's already called them out on their cheap worship. He's already called them out on their immoral relationships and their rampant divorce. He's already called them out on questioning his character. But there is one issue that God wants to highlight to show them how far they have strayed from him and need to return. So God shoots back in verse 8 and he says, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. Whew. That's a strong accusation, packed with a punch, because you're kind of wondering, what does that mean? So the people defensively shoot back and they say at verse 8, uh, uh, excuse me, God, how have we robbed you? Did we break into your house and steal your stuff? How have we, we robbed you? Are we like pickpockets or something? How have we robbed you? And God hushes them in verse 8, and he says, in tithes and offerings. little history here. Tithes were like these mandatory, underlined circle, the concept of mandatory offering that was given so that the Levites could facilitate the temple services. Now, the Levites were made up of priests and administrators and singers so that these tithes would go and support the service, uh, the sacrificial system. So we have tithes, but we also have something called offerings or contributions. And these are the mandatory animal portions that will be given for the provisions of the Levites. At, at, uh, so, so basically, you need to keep up the temple worship, the sacrificial system, the killing of animals, the slaughtering of these things, and the people who do it. So that you've got tithes and offerings, right? So far, so good. This is going to blow your mind, all right? I dare you, I dare you, to study the Bible to learn more about tithes and see what percentage you come up with. Because when we hear the word tithe, we think 10%, that's what it means. So the people in the Old Testament are given 10%. Wait, hold your horses. (laughs) Go study it, and you will find the tithes come up to closer to 23%. You're like, whoa, 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 wait. (laughs) 23%, what are you talking about? Well, this was given and income crops and animals to the Lord to facilitate worship. And this was the percentage that was needed for the nation to flourish in worship and less would hamper the worship. This is what we're going to do now. I'm going to take a sermon time out. 
I do this about once or twice a year. I need to take a time out. Sermon, time out. Ask the question. If that's what the Old Testament people did in tithing, should Christians today still tithe? Here's the way I've heard it explained. The Old Testament sacrifices were at the temple. And what do these sacrifices of animals point toward? Anybody know? They point toward Jesus. They point toward the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And since Christ became the final sacrifice, the animal sacrifices are no longer needed. That's why you're coming to church this morning and not being grossed out. Because I'm not killing stuff. You want me to start killing stuff? We don't need to do that. We have the final sacrifice in Jesus Christ. And since the tithing was used to facilitate a sacrificial system ultimately fulfilled in the sacrifice of Christ, then tithing is no longer required. Why isn't tithing commanded in the New Testament? And the answer is, it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, for those of you who want to argue and say, no, no, tithing is still commanded today because it was not rescinded in the New Testament, and I want to push back into you and say, okay, then you go figure out the percentage. Because if you're just pushing for a 10% of a tithe, you're falling short of the 23% mentioned in the New Testament. And besides, when Paul speaks to the churches about giving, he does not say tithing. He wants them to give. And so if you're here this morning, you're thinking, oh, this is such a good deal. I, my whole life, I, I've been told to tithe. I'm so glad I don't have to tithe anymore. That's awesome. Thank you, Pastor. See you later. Do not think that the New Testament lowers the bar because the New Testament seems to raise the bar. Uh-oh. Don't think that the New Testament lowers the bar, but it raises the bar. Once again, we're still in our time out, so hang with me here. Let me put up 1 Corinthians 16. Let's leave, the, leave this up for a few minutes. This 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2. Let me, let me read this to you. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. All right, so this is what we're going to talk about. Rather than tithing, we have something called this giving, all right? So Paul advises for them to give on a regular basis. Did you see it up there? It says, on the first day of the week. So giving is to be on a regular basis on the first day of the week, Sunday. And it's also to be proportional. You notice that it says, as he may prosper. If you prosper a lot, then give a lot. But if you've only prospered a little, then that little bit you give is still acceptable to God. So giving is to be on a regular basis. It's to be proportional. But it's also to be voluntary with our eyes on Jesus. Let me put up 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 8, 8 through 9 says, I say this not as a command... But to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. 
So Paul's not giving them a, a, a command, but he's saying that this giving should be voluntarily springing for Christ's love for us. He gave himself up for us in the gospel. His life, death, and resurrection through faith were forgiven. And so this generosity is to flow out of us as we embrace the gospel. This guy named Walt Kaiser said something really cool. This is what Walter Kaiser says. He says, If a tenth was the minimal amount under the law, how can Christians do any less? Perhaps we should consider not how little, but how much we can give, seeing how richly blessed we are in Christ. Oh, that's good. So our giving, so far as voluntary, regular basis, proportional, springing forth, from joy. How about some joy? How about some happiness in giving? 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I know we're in a timeout, but can I take a little sidebar of the timeout? Did you notice that it said, as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion? Now, I'm not, not going to be too negative here, but sometimes he will pray, you know, I'm just going to pray, and I want God to show me how much he wants me to give. What are you talking about? Look at that. It says, it says, not reluctantly or under compulsion, what you've decided in your heart. Because God loves a cheerful giver. He wants you to be happy about this. So, so put it all together, right? So giving is to be, you ready? It's supposed to be voluntary on a regular basis, in proportion to your income, springing forth with joy because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll, we'll say it again, all right? Giving should be voluntary, on a regular basis, in proportion to your income, springing forth with joy because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should give for the glory of God. But like most of us, and like most of the people during Malachi's day, we often don't. And that's why we need the message of Malachi. Time in. Let's go. Verse 9. Oh, boy. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. God owns everything, and since they, they refuse to give to God a portion of what is already his, then they are robbing God and will experience a curse. And, and how are they being cursed? Well, right now, in this curse, God is withholding rain, and their crops are withering because they're being punished for robbing God. But God wants to remove this curse and literally shower them with his faithful love if they'll return. And then he says in verse 10, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Boy, one of the most misused verses ever, right? Taken out of context, thrown in your face, stuff just made up on this verse. So let's take it slow and in context, okay? So this verse reveals that they were giving, but they were not giving the whole tithe or the full tithe. Instead of bringing the full percentage, they were only bringing a portion. And it, and it doesn't matter how much they were bringing, they were still robbing God. And maybe no one else noticed, but God did. 
The priest didn't know exactly how much someone was bringing, but God knew, and they were robbing God. Did you know, I have no idea what anybody in here gives. I don't look at that stuff. I don't know. On Sunday morning, you could be robbing God like crazy. I would never know. But God knows. And did you notice? The robbing happened not by what they put in, but by what they failed to put in. The robbing happened by what they kept out. And that's where the curse was happening. That's where God's lack of blessing was happening. Well, we'll keep reading verse 10. We've got to come back to verse 10 again. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you the blessings until it overflows. Don't you love that? God challenges us and says, test me. Come on, test me in this. And you're like, uh, excuse me, God, have you not read the Bible? The Bible says not to put you to a test. There are other warnings about sinfully putting God to the test. But here's God is like, come on, test me. He's a faithful God, and he's inviting the Israelites in this situation to investigate his faithfulness. If they get back to obeying the Lord expressed through their giving, then God will open up the windows of heaven and he's going to let the rain flood out until there is no more need for it. So God is saying, look, you give, I'm going to bless you. But it's not like, hey, you know what? If you just sow a seed in God's kingdom and he's going to give you a Rolls Royce. If you just give, then God's going to open up the floods of heaven. He's going to give you a new house. It's not like Israel is supposed to say, oh, God, you have this rain machine. And if I put my money in the rain machine, then you're going to send all this rain down and I'm going to be blessed. That's not the way you're supposed to think about this. You give for the glory of God. And as you give, he pours out his abundant blessings. And I think there's a New Testament equivalent. There's a New Testament equivalent. This testing language doesn't just seem to be for the Israelites, but it also is for you. Let, let me read this to you in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, Paul is taking up a collection for the suffering believers in Jerusalem, and he says this to the Corinthian church. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Malachi talks about God opening up the floodgates for provision, and Paul talks about reaping bountifully, grace abounding, and being enriched. The idea here is that those who are generous in their giving will have an overflow for the kingdom. That is, as we give to the Lord financially, he will keep giving to us in a way, a variety of ways, so that we can continue to abound in every good work, including the work of giving. You cannot outgive God. He owns it all. And as you give him and sow bountifully, you just watch what happens. 
As you give to God, he will continue to make provision for you so that you can continue to abound in every good work, including the work of giving. When you start to realize he owns it all, it's all his, and you're giving for his glory. And watch what happens. He'll continue to give you blessings in Jesus Christ so that you can continue to serve his kingdom, including giving. Verse 11. Let's go back to Malachi. Verse 11. This is the way he finishes up. He says, Then I will rebuke the devourer. This is the blessing. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground. Nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, so not only is a guy going to give them rain, he's going to get rid of all these locusts that are devouring their crops. And no longer will their fruits be destroyed and their vines fare to, fail to bear fruit. They're going to be a nation that's prospering as they give to the Lord. And the nations are going to look at them. The nations are going to say, oh, I want some of that. The nations are going to see Israel and they're going to say, oh, wow, that is a, a delightful land. Oh, that land right there, that is a blessed land. Can you imagine the Israelites hearing this? They are a little dinky piece of junk land In the Persian Empire, their land is not prospering. They don't have crops. Locusts are there. There's no rain. And God's saying, I'm going to turn this thing around. And the nations are going to say, you're blessed. It reminds me of where I grew up. I grew up in Texas in a place called Dallas, in a certain place called Pleasant Grove. People call Pleasant Grove the armpit of Texas. That's what Israel is. The armpit of the Persian Empire. And God said, I'm going to turn that thing around. And the nations are going to look at you and say, oh, who's their God? And for believers today, we are to use our money in such a way where the nations want to get in on this. Where the nations see how sacrificial we are in giving our money everywhere to missionaries who are taking the gospel all around the world and we see people saved and can you imagine people from different lands come up to you and say you love me so much that you spent your money so that i could hear about the gospel of jesus christ let the gospel go out to the nations can you imagine the church is supposed to be a, be a place where we are caring for the poor where the world comes and looks at us and they go what you're giving away your money sacrificially so that the poor can be cared for? That is absolutely amazing. The nations are going to want to get in on this. They're going to say, who are those people sacrificially giving away their money so the nations can hear, so the poor can be cared for? And the nation will say, well, that's a blessed people. I want to get in on that. This church is amazing. I don't know if you know this. I know so many of you are new. But this church right here gives away 25% of its budget to missions. 25%. And last year, we gave away even more than 25%. And that doesn't even include what we give for church planning. You need to know that when you give to this church, it spreads the gospel locally, nationally, and globally. We want people to worship the Lord. And part of that is our giving to the kingdom of God so that the gospel will spread and people will know Jesus Christ and want to get in on that. That's why Malachi is bringing this up. 
That's why he's talking about tithing, to show them how far as a nation they have strayed. And I'm going to say this. If you're off in your giving, you're probably off in other areas as well. And now is the time to return to the Lord with your whole heart. Not just in giving, but with your whole heart. And I've got to be very, very um, clear on what that could look like in giving because as Americans, most of you are, we don't, we don't know what that means. What does it mean to give? You hear this message, what does it mean? All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this sliding scale, okay? So over here on the part of the scale is what we're going to call robbing God. We just talked about that. I hope you're paying attention. The other end of the scale is something called radical giving. And the person I'm going to put on the radical giving side is that widow. Do you remember the widow in the New Testament who gave away everything that she had? Can you imagine her meeting with a financial counselor before she did that? No, no, don't, 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 don't. Gave it all away, okay? So that's radical giving. And in the middle, we're going to have something where we all should land, something called generous proportionality. Generous proportionality. We want to be generous with the Lord has given to us. So you have robbing God, radical giving, generous proportionality. Now here's the problem with Americans. We're messed up. We think that we're being generous when we're really not. Because this is, this is what Americans do. Oh, I don't have any food. Pantry full. Oh, I don't have any clothes. Closet full, right? So we're messed up in our thinking. So I think Americans, what we have to do in our giving is we got to shoot for radical. We have to give in such a way where we're like, man, this is crazy. This is radical. And then we're probably ending up somewhere in the generous proportionality we got to be on this side of the scale because we're messed up. We're so messed up in our thinking. And so we want to be those who are generous. We want to be those who are, I can say this, aggressive in our giving. We want to be those who are joyful and, how about this, begging to give. Oh, let me give. Please, God, let me give. Let me show you. That's why I want to end. I want to end with Scripture. 2 Corinthians 8, talking about the Macedonian church begging to give. I'll put it up for you. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in the wealth of generosity on their part. Oh, this is good. For they gave according to their means. That's generous proportionality. As I can testify, oh, here we go, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Paul is blown away. They gave in proportion to their means and then sacrificially beyond, begging can you imagine? Please, just let me give. I want to give. Please, just let me give. Oh, my heart wants to be there. And I want your heart to be there. Where we have this generosity from what God has done for us in the gospel, and we just want to let it overflow so the nations can know about Christ. So the poor can be cared for. The gospel can go out. We say, Lord, please let us get in on your kingdom. Or please, Lord, please let us give. And may God do such a work in us so we can continue to give 
and bring him praise and glory. Let's pray. Lord, often we're just a a rule people. We're like, just tell me the percentage and we'll plug it in and that's good to know. But Lord, you want this springing forth from our hearts. You want it springing forth from our hearts where we are so blown away by your love that we want to aggressively give to see the poor cared for, to see the gospel spread, to see your kingdom flourish. We know it's all yours, Lord. Every single thing we have is yours. And we just think about the the widow who just put it all in, put it all in, and trusted you with the outcome. And Lord, I just ask that you would be doing a work in our hearts so we can just trust you with the outcomes. I know some of us this year has been crazy. People have lost their jobs. Things have crashed. People are having problems financially. Lord, may we be those who step up who continue to give in radical means to care for those. Where we can say, like the New Testament church said, there is no needy person among us. May there be no needy person among us, Lord. But may we continue to give for your glory and for your praise based upon what you've done for us in Jesus. To him be the praise. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.